0: I'm sorry. I just want to go. I want to see my family. Please let me go. Please, oh God, help me. Denise Amber Lee. And that's the
1: victim in our story. Ooh. I already hurts my heart. Yeah. Because you could hear a girl in your head saying that. And that
0: was a direct quote from her 911 call.
1: Ah, shit. 911 call? Yeah. Fuck. This, this is a- Jen. This is Becky, and this is too close to home. And we're starting out real serious. <laughs> <laughs> this is a stab
0: to the heart. One, it is extremely sad. So prepare yourself.
1: She told me that this was going to be like our Delphi episode. So yeah, put your put your serious hat and your tough heart armor on. Whatever you got to do. Oh yeah,
0: and maybe it's just there's some things in here that hit really close to home. So maybe that's why it's so hard for me. But when I'm pretty it, too sure close it's... to home. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So we will s- jump right in. Denise Amber Lee was born on August 6, 1986. She was born in Inglewood, Florida.
1: Uh, like Jacksonville, Inglewood? Yeah. That's where my dad grew up.
0: Oh, see? This is already too close to home for you.
1: Oh, shit. I remember going to Inglewood as a kid and jumping the fence with my cousins. To play in the playground, like...
0: And weren't you born in 86?
1: I was born in 87, so close. very close. Too close to home. Too close already.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Denise was the daughter of Sergeant Rick Golf of the Sheriff's Office in Charlotte County, Florida, and her mom was Sue Golf. Denise was a young 21-year-old woman married to Nathan Lee and was the mother to two little boys. Denise and Nathan met when they were just teenagers. Denise was 17 and Nathan was 19. Even though they were young, they wanted to start a life and a family together. They married shortly after and had two boys, Noah and then Adam. Nathan worked three jobs so that Denise could be a stay-at-home mom to
1: her little boys. Oh my gosh, that's sweet.
0: I know, already like sweet, huh? When Denise and Nathan went on their first date, he bought her a $40 heart-shaped ring, which she never removed. He knew right then he wanted to marry her and he got it as like a promise ring to her. And... She wore it all through Dayton. Even after they got married, she wore that ring. Oh, my God. This ring would later be key to solving her death. Love endures. Mm. On January seventeenth, two 2008, Denise and Nathan lived in a rented home in Northport, Florida. On this day, Denise was sitting on her back porch, and she was cutting her two-year-old son Noah's hair. And I remember when my boys were little, I used to cut their hair a lot because Mm -hmm. especially in the summertime, I would just take them out and just buzz cut them Uh or do the mama fade, which wasn't always the best. But I mean, it did the job. It worked. And I was a young mom and we didn't have a lot of money. And it was a lot cheaper to take them out on the back porch and cut their hair. Little did she know this was going to be the last time she was with her babies. Nathan was at work that Thursday. Denise called him at 1121. And this was the last time the two would speak. Among the topics that they discussed was that the weather was really nice and the couple decided that she should open the windows to their home to let some air in. She said she had already opened them. However, hours later, Nathan, who spoke to Denise every day while at work at Florida Power and Light, became worried because he couldn't get in touch with her. He called her eight times and then left to come home. So apparently he would call her multiple times through the day, just Check up on her. I'm sure she was bored being a stay-at-home mom, you know.
1: That's really thoughtful, though, especially for, the like, the era.
0: Yeah. You could tell they must have really been in love, too. Oh. And I don't know I want to talk to JJ eight times a day. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, uh, I know you're listening.
1: I want to talk to you a hundred times a day. <laughs> Jennifer, I just, I'm just strength. trying to work doing B plus J. <laughs> Always. not talking about blowjobs. Becky and JJ. <laughs> Bo-life. Becky and
0: Joshua forever. (laughs) (laughs) Nathan came home. He arrived home at 3.30 to find that now the windows were closed and his wife was missing. Inside his home, his sons Noah and his six months, so Noah was two and Adam was six months old and they were in their cribs. Noah was in the crib with Adam, which he found weird to begin with because they were never in there together and he couldn't find his wife. But her purse was there. All of her belongings were there as though she shouldn't be gone. Um, Nothing was in disarray and the house doors were even locked. Uh, They said that there was no sign of forced entry. There was nothing broken. It just looks normal. Nathan immediately called his father-in-law because, you know, he was a detective with the police. And his father-in-law called his wife and they rushed to the home and then Nathan called 911. Immediately, he went into the woods nearby looking for his wife. And... Because her dad was a detective, he very quickly got a missing persons bulletin sent out all over. They went around. They started asking neighbors and everything, have you seen anything? Have you seen her? Have you talked to her? On this afternoon, Denise's neighbor, Jennifer Eckert, told police that she had watched a green Camaro drive slowly past their home. She said the car circled the street four or five times. So she just kind of watched because she was like, why does this car keep driving around? Well, then shortly after two, she saw the Camaro parked in their driveway. So she just thought, oh, maybe they're looking for their house. Mm. You know, whatever.
1: You, nobody ever innately thinks something's wrong, yeah. you know. Like, and, oh, that's odd. Oh, it's and tries to explain it away. And,
0: you know, back then, well, it was 2008. I don't know if we had GPS on our – I don't think we had GPS. On, no, we did not have GPS on our phones then. No. We barely – we didn't even have smartphones then because that's when I lived in Europe. We didn't have – no,
1: that was like you when were you were... still breaking out the atlas. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so the Tom Tom. You wouldn't be surprised if you saw someone driving down the street a couple times and then they were at someone's house. They were trying to figure out where it was.
1: With a map. Remember the paper maps and you can get them in books?
0: Yes, girl. To cover a
1: whole ass state? Yes. My dad was real proud of his. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I used to be the best navigator. Just saying. Not bragging, but it is what it is.
1: I don't mean to toot my own horn, but toot toot. <laughs>
0: She said she went outside her home 10 minutes later and saw the car drive off. She did not see Denise in the car. She didn't hear any screaming or see anything out of the ordinary. At 6.14 p.m., a 911 call went to the Sarasota County dispatch from a woman. She gave her address and said she wanted to see her boys again. Two dispatchers tried to figure out what was happening to the woman. Golf said it was her dad, Denise's dad, said it was her desperately trying to tell the dispatcher important details like she'd been taken against her will without the kidnapper knowing it. When they had made a stop, she was able to get the kidnapper's phone and have it in the back seat with her. So she called 911 and she just started saying things as though she was talking to him. Oh. So she was like, "I just want to go home." And they're like, "Who are you?" And she's like, "You don't even know my name. My name's Denise." And do you even know what my address was? And she tells him the address, it says address. And then they start kind of catching on. So they start asking her questions and they're like, do you know this man? And she's like, you know, I don't even know you. I don't even know your name. And they're like, are you being held against your will? And she's like, I didn't even want to come with you. You made me come with you. So she's saying all this to him, but answering 911's call. Fucking clever.
1: I know, right? Did it, is that recording available? Yeah. Oh, man.
0: Yeah. I listened to some of it, but
1: it just went for me. 911 yeah. calls are like, it's 50-50. Like, I want it to be a 911 call, like the guy who thought he overdosed on marijuana. I don't ever want to listen to a <laughs> 911 call where somebody's doing that. Like, I'm sure you've heard the one with the girl with the pizza. Like, I need to order, uh, yeah. you know, and he says, well, if you want, if it's if he's hitting you, say pepperonis, you know. Yeah. <sighs> that was this one.
0: During the brief 911 call, the dispatcher told Denise that she couldn't hear her because the radio was too loud. Denise calmly asked the abductor to turn the radio down. The man soon figured out that Denise, who was in the back seat tied to a bedpost, had his cell phone. He abruptly ended the call, but not before threatening her. And you can hear him, like, yelling at her and stuff, and uh, it's just heartbreaking. What later they found out, is that Denise was bound and taken to King's home. The, As you'll learn, the abductor's name is Michael King. He took her to his home in Northport, Florida, where he had set up with the prosecution in the trial referred to as a rape room. Mm. He had duct tape and other evidence that was found in the room. So after he takes her to his house in his little rape room, has her there for a little while, he then... Puts her back in the car and drives to his cousin, Harold Muxlow's home. Why is there a king borrowed a shovel, a gas can, and a flashlight? This is when Denise, this is when she took the phone. So she didn't have it before getting raped and everything, but when he was out at the cousin's getting all this, that's when she took it and made that 911 call. The call was several minutes long. And during the call, you hear her begging for her life and saying please 17 times. A short time later, after her 911 call, another 911 call comes in to Northport Police Department. It's a teenager, Sabrina Muxlow. So it was Harold's daughter. She said her dad asked her to call 911 after his cousin, Mikey King, borrowed a shovel and a gas can. She said a girl was tied up and got out of the car, but King put her back in and left. Sabrina said her father wasn't expecting him and he said he needed items for a lawnmower that was stuck in his front yard. Harold gave him the items, but as he was walking back towards the house, he heard a woman shout, call the cops. He walked back down the driveway and asked Michael what was going on, but he told him, don't worry about it. He walked away but looked back one last time to see Michael crawling over the console and pushing the head of a person down in the back seat. He then drove away. So I guess at this time, the cousin Harold Because you think, why didn't you run out there and do something? But I guess he was just kind of trying to figure out what the hell was going on.
1: What the fuck is my cousin up to now?
0: Yeah. Not
1: thinking the worst.
0: He said as soon as he drove away and he like sat there for a minute, I guess like gathered his bearings. He got in his car and drove to Michael's house, assuming that that's where he was going with her. And he said he just wanted to see if he actually had a lawnmower that was stuck out in the yard. So he gets there Michael wasn't there. There was no lawnmower. So he placed an anonymous 911 phone call to the police. He provided a description of Michael's vehicle and he told them there may be a person inside the car being held against their will. The 911 operator asked what he was driving and he said a green Camaro. He gave them King's description and his address. Police raced across town to King's home, Lear Lamarck Elementary School. There they found the rape room. Uh, Wadded up duct tape with long strands of hair, a black hair tie on a Winnie the Pooh blanket. The house was nearly empty. There was no furniture, no appliances. There was just a TV in there. As police continued to search for King's Camaro, another 911 call came in. But this time it was across the county line in Charlotte County. Jane Kowalski tells the 911 operator, A man in an older model dark Camaro is driving slowly alongside of her. He's a plump white man with whitish hair. And there was screaming in the car, she said. Like screaming, screaming. Not a happy scream. Like a get me out of here scream. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic here, Kowalski says. She had been on the phone with her sister. And she was stopped at a red light. And she heard somebody screaming. So she looks over and... Thinking she initially thought it was like a child being abducted or something, but she couldn't see anybody in the car. Well, she said when she made eye contact with the guy, he kind of looked at her and then he turned around and was pushing something down in the back seat. Jane said after he pushed something down, a hand came up from the back seat and started banging on the window. She added, This is her words they're going really slowly, they're blocking traffic on US 41. He just turned on to Toledo Blade. There's traffic. I can't catch up to him. When they stopped and she's seen all that, she decided she was going to follow him. Well, he didn't start going when the light turned green. So she started going because she didn't want to make it obvious. Well, as soon as she started going, he pulled behind her and then shot across traffic and turned so she couldn't get back to him. Mm. But she's telling them like, this is the road he turned on. This is where we're at right now. So she gives him an exact location of the crime happening right before her eyes. She stayed on the phone for more than nine minutes, identifying cross streets as she continued driving. Oh, this was... I'm sorry. So she was following him for nine minutes. Then that's when they got to the light and he changed lanes and turned off. The 911 dispatchers fucked up the call and never dispatched it out to police. At this time, they were out searching for her already.
1: Even... Uh They got fired and then put in jail.
0: Girl, something. there was four patrol cars, police on foot, and a helicopter
1: within one
0: mile of them.
1: And the I'm sitting here operator- thinking because, like, I know this is a murder, but like, and you said that her ring was what helped solve it. But holy shit! So it sounds time- like everything went right except this motherfucking dispatcher. And I hate to say because I know the dispatchers, and most of them, I was. It's like any perception, most of them are great. Then you have the one dipshits, and we all know those dipshits in any career field.
0: <sighs> and I think from what you'll hear later on that it was a lack of training. Mm-hmm. And you know, I it's hard for me to even bash the dispatcher because imagine having to live with that the rest of your life. That if you would have dispatched that correctly, those police would have been there, and that young girl would have been saved. She would have been saved. They were a mile away from her. One. Fucking mile, a helicopter, one mile away from her. And because not only did it not get dispatched right and tell them, it never got dispatched to them, to any police. Due to the inefficiencies, none were dispatched. The dispatcher told her that a cop was going to meet her, but no one ever showed up. Later that night at 9 p.m., officers were positioned at all of Interstate 75 exits in Northport. So, Her call came in at 6.15. At 9 o'clock, they got cops. Well, these cops had had been already setting up everywhere. So two Florida highway patrollers spotted a green Camaro approaching Toledo Blade Boulevard, exactly where she told them the car was. At 9.10, they followed the car and forced it to pull over and called for backup. Dozens of officers converged around the Camaro. They ordered the driver to exit the vehicle, but he would only exit after they threatened to shoot him. Inside the car was the shovel and gas can. King's pants were wet and there was mud on his shoes. They found his phone, but the battery and the SIM card had been removed and Denise was gone.
1: You've been on I-75 in Florida. I know you have been. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of nothing.
0: A whole lot of nothing.
1: A whole lot of swamps.
0: Yeah. In the back seat were long strands of hair that Denise had yanked out at the root so that they would have her DNA behind.
1: Oh, my God. How terrifying to be sitting in the back seat, pulling your fucking hair out, going, at least if I die, they're going to nail this motherfucker with something like this.
0: And all I could think is her dad being a detective, he probably taught her all of this. And for her to be sitting back there thinking, I actually have to use all this that he taught me, is just terrifying. And during... The 911 call, you can hear him telling her, I was going to let you live, but now you fucked up. I don't think he ever had the intention of letting no. you
1: live. There are a lot of killers that will do that. They they look for those little allowances and justifications to keep the fault off themselves. Oh, of course. Well, you, you fucking called 911, so whose fault is it? it? It's yours, motherfucker? Exactly. God.
0: And I think they... Just say they're going to let them go to try to pacify them and have them be calm and not put up a fight, mm-hmm. you know, thinking, okay, if I just do what they say, they'll let me go. Yeah. It's only a
1: matter of time and that time never comes.
0: King refused to tell investigators what he did with Denise or give any information. At nine fifteen, six six hours after Lee was reported missing, King was arrested. Some motherfucker didn't even get away for six hours. You're a dumb, stupid motherfucker. You couldn't <laughs> even, which is good. I'm glad. Yeah. This is all over the news. So the next day, Jane Kulowski, the one that had called following him in the car, called the police department and was like, yo, hey, you know, I called about that dude, right? And they're like, no, you called about him. They still had no idea about it. No. Oh. so she told them. Look, this is where he was. This was the road he turned down, so on and so forth. So now they go down there. And on January 19th, the next day, they found Denise's remains in a shallow grave of three foot and one inch off Toledo Blade Boulevard. They found the naked body of Denise. She was laying on her side in the fetal position. Denise had been shot dead less than three miles from where Jane made the 911 call. Detectives started piecing together the crime. So what they believe happened because King has never said anything. So they think he probably got in through the windows being open, that she'd open, and he had the gun on him. And so that's how he got her to go out quietly to the car, probably threaten her kids. And right. she was able to get him to not hurt the children. So I'm sure she went willingly so he wouldn't hurt her children. Then he took her to his home and raped her. And then he went to his cousin's house and got his kill
1: kit, Wait, basically. what a shitty fucking killer. You didn't even have all your shit prepared. <laughs> Unprepared. Not a Boy Scout, are you? Let me Let me take my victim... Here, there, and yonder while I'm, you know, perpetrating a very serious crime. shit.
0: And she's screaming, hollering, banging, getting all this attention to people. I think that's what's the most heartbreaking is it, if it all would have been handled differently, she'd still be alive today. Mm-hmm. But errors just took this woman from her children. And that error children. was
1: like a, you had like a very small window.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if you had done it, it would have been just in time because she was just, he... Was just going down that road when she saw him.
0: Yep. And when they arrested him, he was leaving. So it was nine o'clock. So if I had to guess, he probably raped her again before he killed her. Probably. And I truly believe the police would have got. I mean, there was a helicopter. I'm sure once he seen the helicopter, he probably would have. He wouldn't have killed her. He probably would have been trying to do anything to save himself, you know. Mm -hmm. Like I said, after he knew about the 911 call when he took her and killed her. The medical examiner determined that Denise died from a single gunshot wound to the head. The wound was consistent with the gun being placed against her head at the time it was fired. The entrance wound was to the area by her right eyebrow. There was blood in her lungs, which indicated that Denise continued to breathe for a short period of time after the wound was inflicted. There were bruises on her wrist consistent with being bound, and she had bruising and anal tearing. Yeah. The trial of the state of Florida versus Michael L. King officially began on August 24, 2009. The prosecution presented DNA and other forensic evidence, including hair which she had pulled from the root and personal articles of Lee's found around and within the Camaro, King's home, and the gravesite. They found her heart-shaped ring that Nathan had given her on their first date in the back seat. She had, like, pushed it between the seats so that even if he cleaned up the hair and stuff, he probably wouldn't find the ring. Other evidence included King's change of clothes, duct tape, a shell casing, the shovel, and King's cell phone. Denise sometimes wore Nathan's boxer shorts and had been wearing a pair that day. They were recovered a couple hundred yards from Denise's body and test positive for sperm cells that matched the DNA of Michael. And that's why I think he probably raped her again right before Mm -hmm. he killed her. The prosecution also called eyewitnesses, including Jane Kowalski and King's cousin, So his cousin, Harold, testified against him for the prosecution. Even though I'm mad he didn't go out there at the car and stop it, you know, because so many people could have stopped it. Like you said, though,
1: I'm sure he's probably fucking kicking himself every day. Like, why didn't I just walk 10 feet? Especially because he's a teenage daughter.
0: It could have been her. Could have. And what if some other guy just did that? How would you feel? So I'm sure he lives with immense guilt over him. The defense attempted to provide a reasonable doubt by bringing to the jury's attention evidence tampering and contamination and by suggesting that one of King's friends had committed the crime. Jane Kowalski even said, he's a short, fat, white guy, old. And if you look him up, that's exactly what he was. But the guy that he tried to blame it on, his name was, Shit now I can't remember because I was reading Through his appeals stuff last night His uh that he had submitted to the Supreme Court oh my god It's something Sanchez I believe and I'm like I feel like you guys probably don't look alike (laughs) I'm (laughs) not trying To
1: love to live in a colorblind world But
0: (laughs) yeah I could be wrong I didn't look up Any pictures of the guy (laughs) And They try to say since they didn't find a gun On Michael King that it was really his friend That went and shot her but I'm like, he was going down I-75 in Florida. He could have tossed it out anywhere, mm-hmm. and no one would have ever found it because there's just so many woods and swamps right. and whatnot, like you said.
1: That's what I thought when I was driving through Louisiana, because there's long stretches of oh, I-10 yeah. that is literally just bridges, like a long-ass mm-hmm. bridge through cypress trees and swamps. And just And just driving along going, how many damn dead bodies are right underneath this overpass?
0: Oh, yeah. 100%. You know, I have a friend... On Facebook, who lives by Lake Lanier, and he's mm-hmm. always out on Lake Lanier, and I'm like, do you know how many bodies are in there? <laughs> I want to comment that every time on one of his posts, but I'm like, not everybody gets your humor back
1: <laughs> I do. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do.
0: On August 28, 2009, after deliberating for only two hours and five minutes, the jury found King guilty of kidnapping with intent to commit a felony, sexual battery, and first degree murder. On September 4, 2009, at 2.45, the jury handed down the recommendation of the death sentence in a 12-0 vote. The judge presiding over the murder trial noted how unusual and rare it was to hear a murder victim's last words. Prosecutors said later that Lee had given them their best evidence that she was taken against her will, she did not know her abductor, and her subsequent and her murder, we're just going to skip that word, was Subsequent. premeditated. There we go. Subsequent <laughs> murder was premeditated. The good that comes from that call is it was 100% like easy to give him the death penalty because it was totally premeditated.
1: The fact that like there was even a trial is just like a mockery. Isn't it? It's like, sir, come on now.
0: The jury's like, quit wasting our time. Two Do hours. you know they
1: were like probably like they made the decision in five minutes. You know, we might as well get one more free meal. Have them order pizza. <laughs> All right, let's let's give it let's give it to him.
0: <laughs> let's pretend like we're in here discussing it.
1: I mean, we have to look like this is a man's life. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I would be.
0: <laughs> I'd be like uh, guilty. Can I have my cell phone back now? Yeah, <laughs> want to see what's going on in Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Lee was unable to give her exact location, and the police were unable. So when she called, obviously she couldn't tell him exactly where she was. She's hiding in the back seat and police were unable to trace the location of the call because it was made on a prepaid wireless phone mm. but they were able to trace it back to him so they knew then too the judge agreed with the sentence and sentenced him to death he appealed the death sentence but remains on death row so i read through his appeals and um they're fucking ridiculous they're so they were appealing at one point where he was trying to um say that it wasn't him for some ridiculous reason. And the judge said, I'm going to stop you right there. We're not even about to do this in my court. We're, no, we're not even discussing that. And so they were appealing that the judge didn't give him a fair chance to put <laughs> it in. But the judge was like, we're not going to fuck around and play these games. Okay. Like, no. cut the bullshit.
1: <laughs> I, I've been down this road.
0: I ain't doing it again. He's like, motherfucker. I got both 911 calls. Both people not one, that saw not you with two, her. Not
1: 2 Not three. Bo. Bo. Bo.
0: all different people that seen you with This is not collusion. It's not. Not even a little bit.
1: (laughs) You could tell the judge was just, he felt like you. This is a mockery of the justice system. Yeah. Like, why are we even doing this? This should not even be allowed.
0: No. Public hangings. (laughs) You know what?
1: Better yet, we're gonna do like uh, a guillotine. And guillotine his dick and balls first. There we go. Let him bleed out Throw some salt, maybe some lemon on there. I don't know. I won't make it hurt.
0: Rip his fingernails out why you one by one. Oh, yeah. Just...
1: And then do that old-fashioned body stretcher thing. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that too.
1: Don't cross <laughs> us, because we'll cross you, bitch.
0: <laughs> I mean, this was just a young, sweet girl. I know. Cutting her fucking baby's hair.
1: Living, like, a lovely life with her two babies and the love of her life. Yeah. <sighs> but then, badass in the fact that she... I mean, I hate that she had to use these tools, but the fact that she had the wherewithal in a moment of terror, I can't say that all of oh, us could yeah. do that. I can't either. I'd be like, oh, God. <laughs> she had her shit together, and it's, uh, it's definitely a waste. It is. That we still have that motherfucker and not her in this world.
0: Mm. In total, five 911 calls related to Lee's disappearance were placed by five different people between 329 and 630 on January 17th. Four were routed to operators in Sarasota County, Florida. The other, placed by Jane Kowalski, and the fifth in the sequence was routed to operators in neighboring Charlotte County, Florida. The call routed to Charlotte County was the one that was mishandled. So I'm just going to tell you an itsy-teeny bit about Michael King because I don't give a fuck about him and he doesn't deserve any kind of Mm -hmm. talk, but I'm just going to tell you a short snippet. He was born in 1971... He was a trained plumber, but had been employed for several months prior to the crime, and was facing foreclosure on his home in Northport. He was divorced, had a low IQ, and this spy included. And family members described to the court how King had been in an accident while sledding as a child, mm. and an head expert. injury. Ding, 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 Jennifer, you win the gold prize every damn time. Jimmy, I know, and a- every slacking. time
1: I win, a terrible story. <laughs> Jimmy never gets it. Fucking Jimmy, loser. <laughs>
0: An expert described this. Is that word again, Jennifer? Sub, sub, subsequent. subsequent. There we go. I need to stop trying to use big words if I can't say them. <laughs> Injury as a divot in his brain. So he hit so hard, he knocked a
1: like a hole in that shit, golf ball size probably. Yeah. Like like hail on the roof of your car. <laughs> <laughs> so I just found that interesting
0: because I know that they say that the McDonald Triad or whatever has not really got any. Evidence. Yeah. But a lot of these motherfuckers have a head injury.
1: I'm sorry.
0: Common denomination here. We're going to end on a good note. After Denise's husband, Nathan, learned of the 911 mishap, he sued the Charlotte County Sheriff's Office for wrongful death due to the mishandled 911 call from Kowalski. They settled for more than $1 million. Her dad retired from the Sheriff's Office, but one year later he returned. Now his son, Tyler, works there, and his other daughter became a 911 call taker. Nathan, his father, Denise's father, and a few close friends established the Denise Amber Lee Foundation. They worked for years on unified training standards for all of the Florida call takers and 911 dispatchers. They had the Denise Amber Lee Act signed into law. It was passed unanimously by the Florida legislation. The act provided for voluntary training for 911 operators. Despite Denise's bravery and her ferocious fight to save her life, she was let down by the 911 operators that day. Lee's family continued to lobby for a new law to be passed nationwide that would institute mandatory training and certification for all 911 dispatchers. So, right now, they just have it, they have to offer them voluntarily to train, but it's not mandated. But they're still pushing to have it mandated that they have to go through training, which they should. I thought they did. In Georgia, they do. That you just hired any Joe Schmo off the street. Now,
1: I did work a radio for a hot minute, but I was not what they call post-certified. I was able to, like, look up warrants and things like that, and I did very minimal radio time. (laughs) Like, when shit got real, I was not your girl. (laughs) (laughs) I would have been that dispatcher. But the rest of the girls had actually had certified training, and they keep up with the, like, police officers in Georgia. So apparently that is not a mandated thing.
0: So good for that. That would
1: be Florida. That would be Florida style, wouldn't it? You know it what? Wild West. Fuck it. Fuck it. It's like Texas and our hey, power grid. You, you know want a what? job? Privatize that shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Today, Nathan travels around the country telling Denise's ex- her story and explaining how to change state laws for standardized training. I wear the heart ring. Neck- uh heart shaped ring on my necklace, he said. Nathan said handling 911 calls is arguably one of the most difficult professions on the planet. The foundation works to remind these men and women how important they are and what a critical role they play every day in public safety, he said. Our goal is that no matter where a person lives or travels, that when they need 911 services, they're available and competent. Denise's legacy continues to
1: grow through her foundation.
0: The good that came out of it is... They now have the foundation for her.
1: And it might save lives down the yeah. road.
0: So my sources were, of course, Wikipedia, the Denise dot org foundation, the Your dot com and <laughs> chillingcrimes.com dot com. It's a blog and there did a big blog on her.
1: <laughs> good. That was a good. I mean, I don't want to say good. I love that something came out of it. Like, I hate, you know, that someone died. But now think of the countless lives. Fucking sad, though. It is sad. It tears me up that literally they were
0: right there. Just a mile. Just a mile. Which is nothing. Cop cars, cops on foot, and a helicopter. One Trifecta. And this little girl fought and fought and fought for her life.
1: She sure as hell did. She sure as hell did. She made it known that she was there. Called the cops, beating on the window. Call 911, wedging her fucking ring and tearing her hair out. That girl, she, she, her children should be proud that their mother was a smart, savvy, you know, courageous and ferocious lady.
0: And I seen on um an episode on IDTV, I watched um the grandma cuts the boys' hair now. They're teenagers, of course. Oh, my God. And uh, she said for years she couldn't, that she couldn't cut their hair because it just... Took her back to that day. Very heartbreaking. She's a beautiful girl, too. And that's the story of Denise Samberlee.
1: Well said. Thank you, ma'am. Now? Now it feels cheap for me to sit here and talk about like (laughs) shameless plugs. So that was really (laughs) sad. But if you listen to us, please subscribe and rate. Uh, Definitely. Let us know uh, what you want to hear. If you have your own too close to home stories, we're on Facebook. We on the Instas. We tick and talk. Yes, and we have merch. And we have merch. Check it out. Yeah, we check out our link tree on the uh, bio of our Facebook and our Instagram, and that'll have everywhere that we podcast, all the platforms plus our cute ass merch that Jimmy Uh has designed. Go Jimmy. We had like that premium alp shirt with the white butterfly protect your nipples you know i'm saying
0: (laughs) he's our behind the scenes brains i didn't say humor i said brains
1: he works from he he's works for nasa so i mean big brains the smart he's our rocket scientist yeah (laughs) (laughs) he is literally well until next time stay safe keep your head on the swivel and don't bring it too close to home. If you do, fight
0: like hell. Fight. Give them hell all the way down.
1: Don't go down easy. Don't go softly in that good night. Raise hell. Yes, because you might not make it out, but you'll get a motherfucker caught. That's right. you go going down. Fuck you, motherfucker. I feel like there should be the Law and Order SVU sound in the background.
0: I do too. <laughs> That is not it, <laughs> even remotely. Doon, doon, do, 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 there do. we go. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> Bye. That was compliments to Jennifer Yom. <laughs> Bye.
1: If you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Home at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening.